0: No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the through to Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where Solomon considers the emptiness of the oppressed, the lazy, and the workaholics. Popularity soon passes away, but a friend is valuable for living. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 on Simply the Bible.
1: Shortly after God created man, he said it's not good that man should be alone. Friends are important. Companions are necessary. We need each other. We are created to be engaged socially. As Solomon searched the world for what was valuable in life, he would land on friendship as one of life's essentials. But chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes begins with an assessment of the evil that Solomon saw in the world around him. Chapter 4, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. It's true. It can be a real bummer to look around and see the evil that's in the world. And as Solomon did, he saw two things. He saw the oppressors who had all the power who were oppressing the innocent ones. And then he saw those who were being oppressed as being those who really had no friend. They had no one to comfort them. And I have come to understand that when people go through things, when they are oppressed or just dealing with the rotten things that they have to deal with in life, one of the best things we can do is simply come and be a friend and listen and love on them and comfort them and let them know that they're not alone. God's still in control and that he loves them. And and as Solomon looked around and he saw those poor people that were not experiencing such comfort, he came to the conclusion that, look, it would be better not to have been born uh, than to deal with all of this. Now, that's sort of a depressing conclusion, but that's the conclusion Solomon came to. One thing about Solomon, though, we see that he didn't tell people to give up. He didn't tell them to quit. And as I have heard it said, it's always too early to quit. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. So Solomon sees someone here who is industrious. He certainly valued skillful work as he speaks of this much in his Proverbs. But the problem is that many people labor because of competition, greed, or envy. It's not that they're seeking to just be excellent or to help other people. It's all about them being number one. But to be motivated by envy for one's neighbor or to be motivated by one's own lust for pride and glory, well, that's all vanity. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Now, there are two people that Solomon mentions here. First, there is the idle or lazy fool. Solomon had little tolerance for laziness, perhaps because he was so industrious himself. And I have a real problem with people who are lazy myself. Now, the lazy person desires sleep rather than accomplishment. You know, the alarm goes off, he hits the snooze a hundred times, and he just rolls back over on his side, you know, and, and rolls back and forth in bed rather than getting up. He prefers sleep to accomplishment, but poverty sneaks up on him like a bandit. Now, he bemoans the fact that he is in want. He doesn't have the things that he would like, but he won't do anything to change his miserable situation. Thus, His laziness consumes his own flesh. But then there is the person who doesn't know when to quit. He is a driven workaholic. And we see many of these people in our culture. They strive for more and more and are never at rest. Both hands are full of endless toil, but they take no time for rest, relaxation, or recreation. So what's the point of it all? As Solomon would say, it's merely a grasping for the wind. Therefore, he concludes that it is better to have only one handful of goods or money or possessions and have the other hand free for quietness. We should be skillful and diligent in our labor, but we should also have a hobby or something else we do to refresh our spirit. Life is more than just work and amassing more and more. Balance is the key. Then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. So here's yet another person that Solomon observes. We'll call him the selfish and solitary toiler. He has no companion. He has isolated himself. He is independent. He has neither son nor brother nor friend. I think of Ebenezer Scrooge. He labors incessantly. But the one who lives for money will never be satisfied with money. He never stops to examine himself. He never asks why am I striving so much? Why am I earning more than I can possibly spend? And who will I give it to? Solomon says that this is vanity and a grave misfortune. Again, balance is critical. One of my favorite audiobooks is by Zig Ziglar. And in that, he speaks of what he calls the wheel of life. He said, you have to be balanced in your wheel of life. And in that wheel, there are seven spokes that deal with the various areas of our life, career, personal, physical, family, mental, financial, and spiritual. And his point is, if you only focus on one or two of these to the neglect of the others, if you're not excelling in all seven of them in some way, then you're wheel is going to be out of balance and you're going to have problems. And I think that Solomon would agree with that. Verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here Solomon esteems the value of friendship. Two are better than one. They are better than one in work because you have somebody to encourage you. You have somebody to help you do the heavy lifting, you know, and so It's better. You'll get more done if you're doing it together. Plus, there's the fellowship involved. I think there's a reason why Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. They are better in traveling together. Now, the problem in that part of the world is that there were pits that you could fall into. And what if you did fall into a pit? You know, they had the cisterns that were dug to get water. So what if you happen to fall into one of those and you can't get out? Well, you have a friend to pull you out. I came across a quote just today by Arnold Glassow that says, a true friend never gets in your way unless you happen to be going down. (laughs) So you want a friend that cares enough about you to just pull you out of the pit, or if they see that you're, you know, heading for a fall, they'll, they'll care enough about you to say something to you. Two are better than one in bed because you'll keep each other warm. Now, I can really relate to this because my wife and I lived in our RV uh, on some property for a period of time during one of Idaho's coldest winters. And we would keep it 40 degrees at night uh, in the RV. And, uh, and so, wow, when you got into the bed, you wanted somebody there with you to keep you warm. And those sheets were cold when you'd, when you'd crawl in there. Then two are better than one in battle. He says here, look, you might be overpowered by someone, but two can withstand him. So if you're in a conflict, so much better to have somebody who's standing there with you to deal with that conflict. And then he concludes this by saying a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so if you add a third person to that friendship, it becomes even stronger. Now, this is something that I use in marriage, actually premarital counseling to show that if you have God in the center of your marriage, then it's going to make it that much stronger. And perhaps you've heard of the the triangle where God is at the top and the husband is on one side and the wife is on the other. And as you move closer to God, as you move closer to the top of that uh, equilateral triangle, you are actually moving closer to each other. And how important it is to have a marriage that is Christ-based, where Christ is at the center of your marriage, and that helps you to have a strong marriage that is in unity together. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king. Although he was born poor in his kingdom, I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. So Solomon gives a story here. First, there is this old king. Now he started out well, but then later in life, he became unteachable. I think of Joash. He was such a king like that. He became king at seven years old. And as long as he was younger and uh, the priest Jehoiada uh, counseled him, mentored him, he did fine. But after Jehoiada died, he just went off the deep end and he didn't listen to anybody after that. Now, Solomon says, on the other hand, there was a poor young man who comes out of prison and he is made king. We don't know why he was in prison, uh, but you know, maybe he stood up to the the old king, you know, and the old king said, I don't like that and threw him in prison. But he comes out and he is made king. And all of the people follow this young king. They sort of go after the young underdog rather than the, the old king that won't listen to anybody. But you think that that's all going to be great, except that the next generation won't even follow this young king because, you know, he appeals to his generation, but the next generation comes up and they want their own king. And so what's the point of it all, Solomon says? It's all vanity, all of it. Now, I like Warren Wiersbe's definition of vanity. He says that that is what is left after you pop a soap bubble. (laughs) So, you know, you can live for all this sort of prestige and popularity, but the reality of it is, is popularity quickly passes away how many athletes can you remember from 20 years ago or presidents or movie stars the latest superstar today will soon be forgotten and if you're living for fame it's vanity it's what's left over after you pop your soap bubble how fickle is the crowd and how quickly The approval ratings change. Better to live to please a faithful God than fickle people.
0: You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the the through-the-bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Next time, we'll see where Solomon advises his readers to draw near to God to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Whoever loves money is not satisfied with money and he can't take it with him. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Ecclesiastes on Simply the Bible.